0: Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere. The Ford
1: family is no stranger to politics, obviously nor are they strangers to rapidly fluctuating public opinion. So when Ontario Premier Doug Ford was elected with a large majority in 2018 and immediately started implementing some unpopular cuts and policies, he probably expected to see somewhat of a drop in his approval ratings. And instead, they went over a cliff. A new poll just released this evening finds support for Doug Ford's government here at Queen's Park is collapsing. Doug Ford has a net favorability rating of minus -53. 53.5%. By the end of 2019, it looked like Ford and his government were badly underwater, so badly underwater that, barring something unforeseen and momentous, the next election might be a foregone conclusion. And lo and behold, something unforeseen and momentous. I don't know about your expectations for Doug Ford's leadership during a crisis, but I spent last year reporting an entire podcast on his brother's time in City Hall and as mayor of Toronto, and so it's safe to say that on the basis of that work, my own expectations were low, and maybe most people's were. But now, six months into this, here we
0: are. Premier's popularity have seen a big boost during the COVID-19 pandemic. Ontario's Doug Ford leads the way with a 38% increase to his approval rating.
1: So how did this happen? Did Doug Ford masterfully handle this disaster or just exceed those low expectations? Does his current popularity reflect real changing of opinions or just the kind of bump that any leader would see in times of trouble? And what became of the Doug Ford so many Ontarians had soured on in February? Did he change, or is this just the circumstances? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Nick Taylor-Vasey is an associate editor at Macleans. We spent time talking to Doug Ford's staff and PC insiders and Ford's opponents. Hi, Nick. Hey, Jordan. Why don't you just start by kind of setting the stage uh, at, you know, the beginning of February. Uh, how was Doug Ford doing as Premier of Ontario? How popular was his government? What was he looking at? Doug Ford was, uh, it's fair to say, a pretty unpopular Premier. Uh,
2: whenever pollsters would do their kind of pan-Canadian views of how Premiers are doing across the country, Doug Ford was near the bottom. His approval rating was somewhere around 30%, depending on the poll, uh, which is uh, which is quite low, um, his predecessor Kathleen Wynne was also uh, a, a a pretty poorly rated premier uh, for for much of her time, and so Ontario maybe is just tough on its premiers. But he uh, he he he'd racked up a few kind of pretty pretty big uh, uh, own goals uh, over the first couple of years of his time as premier, so that was reflected
1: in the polls. What were those own goals? Because he won uh, election in a large majority.
2: Yeah, he won uh, a whole lot of votes in a whole lot of places where politicians in Ontario always love to win them, which is to say um, suburban Toronto and uh, and other suburban ridings in the province. He, he wrote to power on an anti-liberal uh, agenda. His uh, uh, election platform was pretty sparse. You might remember that the PCs actually published no official platform. They just put out ideas day after day, uh, and we were left to kind of guess what the full picture was going to be. But over the first couple of years in office, uh, a lot of different media organizations were tracking the cuts that he was making to various programs, he and his government. He made very unpopular cuts to autism funding um, that upset just a lot of parents uh, of, of special needs kids and people who knew those parents and those kids, you know, uh, and and that hit him uh, pretty hard when it happened. Um, his His handling of the education system was, I think, seen by a lot of parents and school trustees as, as lackluster. And I, th- I think generally he just wasn't seen as an inspiring choice. He wasn't seen as a leader with a vision so much as a leader who reacted to things uh, and acted rashly and bullied his way through governance and Queen's Park and uh, and took no prisoners along the way, which was kind of the reputation of his late brother, Rob, when he was mayor of Toronto. Um, they
1: seem to have a particular Fordian way of governing for those who elected them. As we were sitting here in February, um, and I'm not asking you to speculate, I guess, but if I were to say that uh, personally his chances of re-election seemed uh, pretty dim to me, would that be somewhat fair? If they weren't dim, they were at least unclear. Uh, It it was a strange
2: time, and it continues to be a strange time in Ontario politics because the Liberal Party that that typically governs this province when the PCs don't had just historically crashed uh, at the end of Kathleen Wynne's time, and they had just recently elected a leader uh, Stephen Del Duca, who uh, to this point, even now, has has kind of struggled to gain traction because becoming a a politician with a profile in the COVID era is particularly tough. And then you had Andrea Horvath and her NDP, who were the official opposition, but were also sort of flagging in the polls for a, a variety of reasons. Also, probably including it, it's hard to uh, distinguish yourself and during a a pandemic era. And so it was it was a little The polls were sort of mixed. They they had the PCs dropping. They had the Liberals rising in the NDP dropping as well and and so you had this a little bit of a three-way race but uh, i think it's it's fair to say it was not a foregone conclusion that Doug Ford was going to win again um, as ever it would have depended uh in an alternate future where covid didn't hit on uh you know the relative strength of the liberals and the NDP and and the 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 various uh algorithms that flow from that but who you know i guess who knows right. but it 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 certainly was going to be a tough a tough one for him
1: what was his first uh, instinct in action uh, late February, early March when it became clear something really dangerous was happening?
2: He, uh, he picked up the phone. Um, this is what people near him uh, say is his instinct. Uh, it's another very Fordian thing to do. Uh, Rob Ford did this when he was councillor and mayor in Toronto. Um, if If you called him, he'd pick up and he would talk to you. And uh, and he would even come to your house to, to see exactly what's wrong with, you know, whatever you're complaining about. Um, Doug Ford uh, picked up his phone and, and basically talked to anybody who he thought could help Ontario weather the, the storm that was coming. Um, whether it was PPE manufacturers, uh, other premiers, the prime minister, the deputy prime minister, anybody who could unlock funding for Ontario. You know, it kind of, he was... Indiscriminate is how they say it when, when he was picking up his phone and talking to people about how they could save Ontarians' lives. What were the expectations
1: for how he would have handled this from uh, other politicians, from his opponents, from the public in general? Because you you know you mentioned uh, his brother Rob, and we did a whole podcast on Rob Ford last year. And initially, that's how Doug struck me, and I was incredibly wary of how he would handle something this serious.
2: I think a lot of people were wary uh, of Doug Ford coming into a pandemic because he he's not seen as a premier with nuance uh, or he wasn't before the pandemic hit. And uh, I think a lot of people probably thought nuance would be an important, um, you know, trait to to have as a leader. Doug Ford's style is very different from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Both were up in front of Canadians and Ontarians every day in those early days of the pandemic. And you could see the the difference in their styles. And I, I think a lot of people saw what they expected from the prime minister, but were a little bit surprised to see
1: what they saw from Doug Ford. Early in March, he told families to go on and go out for March break and have fun and don't worry. And I was like, okay, this is my worst expectations confirmed. Tell me about the reaction to that and what changed afterwards. Yeah, so that's that's Doug Ford's old ways, right? Kind of speaking, shooting
2: from the hip, uh, saying that yeah, you know, the thing that I can do if I'm premier right now is to reassure Ontarians, and how can I do that? Well, they want to go on vacation, they want to go on March break, they should go do that. He did say in the same sort of breath, or the the uh, uh, an earlier breath, that you know the province was watching the progression of the of the viruses, you know, spreading across Ontario closely. Um so he didn't he didn't say basically, hey, there's nothing to see here, go have fun. But he did say, uh, we're watching closely, uh, you know, we're we're being very cautious, we're listening to the experts, but go have fun. And of course, what people take away from that is the thing they want to hear, which is that the the risk is low and they can go enjoy their mm-hmm. you know, go enjoy their time. And whether or not it was directly correlated, we did see a, a spike a couple of weeks later. A lot of people were out for March break. That that did not go over well with a lot of people who were in sort of the you know in the thick of of projecting what's going to happen with this pandemic in early March. A lot of people were saying at that point, we really should be staying home. We really should be keeping away from even our closest loved ones who aren't part of our household because we don't know exactly what's going to happen next. Um, that yeah, the, I would say the experts panned that uh, pretty quickly. Um, it, in fairness to the premier. The public health guidance coming from a lot of premiers at the time was, was a little bit mixed. Um, everyone, even people governing provinces, were just catching up to the evidence that was coming at them a mile a minute from their various public health uh, experts and uh, medical officers of health. But even with that caveat, uh, I think it's, it's fair to say that that was his first major blunder, uh, and he would probably admit to that.
1: What changed afterwards? Because how did we get from, from that blunder to where we are now? A couple things happened. One was uh, he went to Ottawa for a first minister's meeting,
2: uh, along with all the other premiers. Uh, they were all in town. They were about to meet with the prime minister to talk about a whole wide variety of things. The agenda that they were going to confront was uh, was daunting, and, and coronavirus was tacked on towards the, the end of planning. So they were going to go mm. over a bunch of stuff. And of course, that meeting was canceled, the prime minister's wife. Uh, was being tested for the coronavirus, she came back positive. Um, uh, that they, they only learned that, the Ford team only learned that the next day. They'd already left Ottawa to go back to Toronto. Because of that kind of experience, that sort of shocked the staff, I think, into just the gravity of this. The closure of schools, which at first was just for a couple of weeks, also kind of shocked, I think, the Premier into taking this a little bit seriously. And he his staff also say that the reaction to the March break blunder um, really revealed to Ford that people are hanging on his every word. And they say he always kind of, you know, he knows the power of his voice, but but there was something about the the reaction to that. He thought, okay, let's giddy up. And then he had public health experts telling him just how bad it could be. And so then a few days later, obviously, he, uh, he shut down the economy, which for Doug Ford, pro-business Doug Ford was... Not, so, I don't think it's anything he ever would have predicted, obviously. That's kind of an understatement. Um, nobody would have thought a Ford would ever shut down the economy. So those series of events dramatically changed his thinking.
1: What kind of image was he projecting at this time? Because I think a lot of people remember uh, in those early days, wherever you were in Canada, you were watching your premier's uh, daily press briefings because we didn't know what the hell was going on. I think everybody watching the premier uh, interpreted his face a little bit
2: differently. Um, I think some people, definitely some people I know, um, you know, I think I saw it a little bit, saw some fear in his eyes. Doug Ford uh, may be just a really bad actor, but he, he really seemed to be w- worried. He knew he knew when he was saying things like Ontarians are dying and, you know, businesses are going to have to close and some of them may not reopen. He He wasn't able to really hide the gravity of that uh and his voice uh, to me it was wavering um some people may disagree but even uh pc insiders people who know him really well say that uh obviously it had an effect on him um they may not agree that he looked scared or that he was wavering but but they would say he definitely reflected the the a feeling of empathy for Ontarians who were going to about to go through uh something i mean he didn't know quite what but he knew it was going to be bad and uh, I I think everybody to a degree sees that in the premier and and they also typically as you say everyone was kind of watching everyone and um the prime minister would be up earlier in the day in those days and Justin Trudeau's style was very different he he spoke very seriously i would you know and and with with that very Trudeauian gravitas that he that he whips up for important moments, but he didn't have the same character in his in his voice, and so it was a pretty stark difference when you watch both of those guys on the same day, especially on the days when when the news was particularly bad. Um, Trudeau was really announcing funding more than anything uh, and emergency plans, where where Doug Ford had to confront the human impact of this on his uh, on his voters and
1: and citizens here. How did Ontarians respond to that?
2: Well, over time, a relatively short order of pollsters who asked Ontarians what they thought of Doug Ford's performance got responses back that were much more positive than they were in February or early March. Um, by mid March and then April and then May, uh, instead of 30% of the province approving of Doug Ford's performance, you had that number double to somewhere around 60%. Uh, and so that's still 40% of people who answered a poll saying they didn't approve of Doug Ford but doubling your uh, your polling numbers um, is is no small feat especially for a guy like Doug Ford who is divisive um, on purpose right I mean he doesn't uh, he doesn't go out of his way to unite people he he'll definitely say he's standing up for the little guy and he's in it for the people and all the sort of the taglines that that sent him to Queen's park but he's not known as someone who's uh, or at least before the pandemic he wasn't known as someone who is who is a bridge builder. On, on purpose. And people reacted to his performance positively. They saw him building bridges and they saw him picking up the phone. They saw him at one point go go to a, a medical supplier and pick up tens of thousands of masks without telling his staff, which was something that sounds like a PR stunt, but, but really wasn't uh, by all accounts. It was the premier just picking up his phone and, and getting a call from someone and saying, I'll be right over. And he took his pickup truck. I mean, people responded positively to that because it was a leader who was hands-on, and who really seemed like he cared.
0: Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere. You touched on it um, briefly
1: at the beginning of our chat, but tell me about how his relationship with Ottawa evolved. Because anybody who thinks back to the election last year will remember uh, the federal Liberals just crapping on Doug Ford every chance they got in their attempt to win Ontario. Yeah, what a wild ride! You're right. It, it
2: was it was basically campaigning in the Greater Toronto Area, uh, seats that Doug Ford had won provincially, um, and slamming the premier and his government every chance they got, and what happened after the Liberals won? Well, Doug Ford apparently called the Prime Minister and said, it's water under the bridge, uh, you won, I won, let's govern for the people of Ontario. And uh, Christia Freeland was named Deputy Prime Minister, and one of her jobs was to go patch up horrible relations with a number of provinces, um, particularly in the West, but also with Doug Ford, uh, and a relatively, not a hostile government necessary, but uh, necessarily, but a a government that that didn't really see eye to eye with the liberals and a government the liberals had slammed for months and uh, the relationship between uh, deputy prime minister Freeland and Doug Ford uh, sort of blossomed uh, the Toronto Star at one point during the middle of the pandemic's kind of worst moments talked about how they had they called each other each other's therapists Freeland and Ford and i think that raised a lot of eyebrows <laughs> Mm -hmm. um among among a lot of people who either like one or like the other and we're surprised that there'd be such a kinship there but when you when you kind of look beneath uh the surface at both of their kind of their characters and approach to to governing uh both are hands-on both like to pick up the phone and so it actually is a little bit natural that they struck up a bit of a friendship because they you know they're both Toronto people uh and they 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 might see the world differently on a lot of levels, but um, they both wanted the same things during the pandemic.
1: You talked to more than just uh, the insiders on Ford's team. You talked to people who'd worked against him uh, and other observers. When you take everything uh, you heard into account, what do you think um, history will will look at as as Ford's biggest successes during this time and his biggest failures? I think actually. One of his
2: biggest successes is also one of his government's biggest failures, and that is the long-term care uh, crisis that was um, apparent before the pandemic, probably to a lot of people, but uh, the horrifying details of the conditions in some of those long-term care homes, you know, it hit the headlines in in late May, and and basically, I think everybody who, who saw those reports, who read those news stories, were aghast. I mean... Yeah, everybody knows someone or has known someone who's been in one of those homes. And uh, the fact that those conditions were allowed to fester and and ultimately cost lives, I mean, hundreds of lives uh, is a huge mark against the Ford government. I mean, they they've now the premier has taken responsibility for it. He says it's it's on him. They've s- struck a an inquiry of sorts, uh, not the inquiry the opposition wants, but that inquiry into exactly what went wrong. Uh, but you know they won an election in 2018 and in 2020 2 years later almost these conditions were were the were the rule not in, in a lot of places not the exception so he's got to an answer for that and a lot of people aren't going to forget those scenes uh, and they're not going to forget their loved ones who died alone in those homes but that said uh, i did talk to somebody who had a real inside view of the uh, the testing situation in long term care homes and they said that Ford, for several days uh, when this long-term care crisis was really at its apex, Doug Ford was pushing for testing of every resident and uh, and every healthcare worker, every staffer in those homes. And the public health officials were pushing back and they said he faced sustained resistance. He, for several days, said we have to do it. And they said that's not how we fight outbreaks. Uh, outbreak management means using... Uh, testing expeditiously, uh, carefully. Uh, you you don't want to waste tests. Uh, you don't want to test people who don't need testing because th- this particular test is quite unpleasant. Um, if you test uh, improperly, you might end up with a lot of false positives uh, or false negatives or whatever. You just have the wrong, you know, you have faulty tests. Um, and he pushed back and he pushed back and eventually they changed the policy and they tested everybody. And this particular person with that view of that policy change said that saved lives they could have saved hundreds of lives uh, it's almost impossible to to model out the lives saved obviously but but that that decision did allow public health officials to learn more about uh, the disease including the 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 benefit of testing asymptomatic individuals uh, they weren't doing that before ford kind of bullied his way into changing that policy so it it was something where his particular style of leadership uh, paid off, and that sort of hands-on Fordian style made a real difference. However, of course, on the other side, you know, of that argument is the crisis ex- existing in the first place, and the the government having to answer for that. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. But I would say that long-term care was both his his greatest moment uh, and his and his worst
1: moment of probably his premiership, but definitely the the pandemic. Do we know when will we have any idea of if this is real, if Ford has, you know, genuinely changed minds and, and won over people uh, who weren't supporters of him, or if this is, you know, leaders tend to see a surge in support uh, in moments of crisis. It's, I mean, it's definitely the latter uh, to a degree. Every premier
2: in Canada received a, a bump, which is, which is natural, of course, yeah, in times of crisis. There were, I think, a few milestones that are worth watching. Um, the It's probably, I, I would say, generally agreed that the first phase of the pandemic has reached some sort of conclusion. You know, those first series of lockdowns, first economic shutdown, um, schools shuttering uh, indefinitely for a time. That's that's winding down. Everybody kind of got used to that way of life and now are resetting in the summer and of course the return to schools in ontario will be just an enormous moment or like series of moments for uh, parents kids and this government and i think there's a a pretty genuine risk that the premier if something goes wrong will blame public health officials because he he has he has said he's relied on their expertise you know, thus far, and for the first few months, as the handling of the pandemic seemed to be positive. I mean, a lot of death uh, in Ontario for sure. Like, twenty seven hundred people died, but but it, it did seem like the public health measures were having an effect, and they were they were they were effective enough that the premier didn't feel the need to throw his uh, his experts under the bus. But if something goes tremendously wrong with the return to schools in one or more areas of this province. That, that could lead to some form of political chaos for sure. And what does that mean for his approval rating? Well, there are a lot of parents in this province. Doug Ford was an unpopular premier before among many of those people so uh, that's one that's one thing to look for. And then I think the other broader milestone and it may be harder to pinpoint is just the the general return to normalcy and if there if there is a second wave of this virus in in the fall or the winter, um, and if a vaccine doesn't come for a while and there are a series of prolonged shutdowns, you know, it, it's one of those things that is as unpredictable as as ever that obviously could could hit the premier's popularity, because at a certain point, people I mean, this isn't exactly a uh, brilliant political insight, but at a certain point, people are going to get tired of a leader who can't seemingly bring them out of a crisis, whether or not it's his fault or, or not. People look for an enemy. Melissa Lanceman, actually a, a, a PC Insider uh, told me for the story uh, something she she worded very poetically and she said when uh, the enemy is no longer the virus the enemy is the politician it's just natural it's how these things work so you know he 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 might if there were an election tomorrow based on his handling so far of this pandemic he might win a a huge majority government bigger than the last time Uh, but if after six months uh, from this point when we're in the dead of winter and uh, people are sick again and people don't feel safe. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Because at a certain point, the sympathy for the prime for the prime minister and the, and the premiers and the, the sort of um, the leeway that a lot of people give them in times of crisis might eventually sort of bleed away. I mean, when people don't have money to pay their pills, they get desperate.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, regardless of what it means for Doug Ford, we can hope it doesn't come to that. Thanks, Nick.
2: Yeah, definitely. We can all we can all agree on that.
1: Nick Taylor-Vasey of McLean's. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You know the drill by now. Write to us, email us. We'd love to hear from you. The address, TheBigStoryPodcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. Find us on Twitter at the Big Story Fpn. Find us as a podcast network on Facebook or Instagram at Frequency Pods. And of course, find this podcast, other podcasts, so many podcasts, in your favorite podcast player, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Doesn't matter. Hit that subscribe button. Keep listening. Thank you for doing so. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.
0: Hello there. It's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology... They are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere.